that we're getting as a people, as a nation, as in Europe and worldwide about the economy and this, is all these experts giving their opinions late at night and boy, it does your head in. And it's at times like this that the church of Jesus Christ needs to be absolutely clear about what the message is. So we're talking about the gospel and we said of all the voices in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when Christ himself, who is the living word, appears on the scene and says the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news, that is a clarion voice that cuts across all others and that's the voice that we need to grasp hold of and understand, live with and work with and share because that voice is as cutting edge now as it was then. I think when one thinks about voices, the one voice you don't want to hear is a scream for help. Nice transition, Chris, there. A scream for help. Phyllis and I were on holiday in northern Italy, and this was some years ago when the kids were young, and we were on the beach, and in this part of Italy, about four o'clock every afternoon, you can almost set your watch by, a wind comes down off the mountains, and it blows very fierce and very strong. Uh, and, uh, and on this particular day, we were down there on the beach, and uh, suddenly, yes, the wind came in, but it was particularly, particularly strong. In fact, it was so strong that, you know, the, the, the guys and gals who were out on the, the windsurfing school didn't even have time to get back into the shore, and very quickly they were being blown out, actually not out to sea, because there was a sort of a, it was near Venice, and there was this kind of huge, great big, sort of bay, lake thing, and they're being blown out across the lake. Anyway, uh, I, I at that time, and, and Flissy to some degree, we, we had done a bit of windsurfing, and we had been, you know, we took our board, and we were sort of shooting around on the lake, and anyway, uh, suddenly, uh, I hear this, help! And it's the young lady who uh, was renting out the boards, running up the beach to me, and she said, Chris, Chris, there's a guy out there, his wife's going mental, and he's right out in the middle. He's a very poor swimmer. This is the first time he's... And look, that's him over there. And I looked, and there was this guy being swept away. So I looked at Fliss, and she sort of shrugged her shoulder, and I said, where's the, where's the rescue boat? Let's go. Well, okay, let's go, let's go. Where, where's the... And she said, we haven't got one. We haven't got one? So I looked around, and there was a pedalo up on the beach. So I said, okay, right, right, okay, okay, let's go and get the pedalo. So we run over there, you know, this woman and I, Fliss looks after the kids, and we drag the pedalo down into the beach, and we're, we're, we throw it in the water, and we jump in, and we The poor bloke out there in the middle of the lake, he's saying, oh, oh, thank God, they're coming to rescue me. They're in a pedalo. <laughs> they're coming to rescue me. Hmm, they're rescuing, we're paddling away. We're about 150 yards out from the beach, and this thing's getting slower and slower and slower. And I said to the woman, I said, what is the matter with this thing? We're paddling like Billy over here, and it's getting slower and slower and slower. And then we realized that there was no bung in the back, and we were sinking. And so, you know, I, I ripped off my T-shirt, I bunged it in the hole. This thing was absolutely sodden with water. We paddle away, we're absolutely exhausted. Finally, we get out there, and this guy sort of, you know, he's, he's looking scared, and he's fear of his life, he's clinging to his windsurfer like this, and I said, okay, mate, we're here, and he said, right, and I said, you jump on here, and, and there wasn't enough room, there was only room for two people, I said, well, I'll get on the windsurfer, and he goes, right, and then I said, you haven't got a bung, have you, by any chance? And I... <laughs> anyway, the message behind all of this is that 
If somebody's going to save you, you better be sure that it's not a pastor on a pedalo. Now, there you go. That's not me, actually. That's a, just, and I don't know what the bloke with the flute is there, but... But, you know, if you're drowning at sea and a pastor on a pedaler with a bloke in a flute comes out to get you, you probably say, look, thanks very much, I'll wait until the lifeboat comes, you know. <laughs> but is the rescuer up to the job? There's many people offering us rescue packages. And for that matter, is Christ up to the job? We talk about Christ the Savior. Is Christ the Savior up to the job? Well, I believe he is. You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? And I'm going to tell you about some of the things that Christ has done for us. It is a wonderful antidote for the message last week. That's why I wanted you to come this week, because many of you had questions. Many of you were, were challenged by last week. Many of you were unsettled. In fact, if you talk to some people, they would say that the talk was about adultery. And yes, it was, but it wasn't. It was actually about sin. Adultery was just the topic for the day. It was the, the handle that we were able to hang the peg on. We're going to look at another one now, just by way of getting into it. So if you've got a Bible or a Blackberry or an iPhone or whatever, it'll go on the screen. But, but if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 18. This is another one of Jesus' stories. Not one of the sub-teachers or the disciples. This is, this is Jesus speaking. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. Jesus is teaching his disciples. And Peter comes to him, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, actually, Peter, I'm not going to keep stopping but Peter here was really thinking he was going to score some brownie points. Because the rabbis taught that you should forgive three times. Up to three times. Now Peter is getting to know Jesus. He knows what Jesus is like. And so he thinks he's going to earn a brownie point or two by saying, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? But Peter is wrong. Jesus him. Verse 22, Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt, sold into slavery, an everyday occurrence then. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. It was a pitiable sight. The wife was crying, the kids were crying, the dog was crying, everyone was crying. And the master took pity on him and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him, cut him by the throat. Pay back what you owe me, you, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you, I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. 
I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is not a message about forgiveness, you forgiving others, but take note. Last week's message was not about adultery, but take note. It's about sin and the seriousness of sin. And one of the extraordinary things, two quick points about this passage, and I'm using this just simply to get us into the zone of what I want to feel the Lord's wanting me to say to you. Two extraordinary things. The first thing is this, that Jesus has no problem whatsoever in, in painting this picture of God the Father as one who is full of pity and compassion, who's merciful, who's ready to hear appeals, whose heart is to forgive. Remember how I said, I think last week I was preaching to these Catholics and I said, you know, many of you think that God is looking for an excuse to damn you to hell. He's not. He's looking for an excuse to save you and that excuse is Jesus. Jesus paints the picture of the Father full of mercy, full of compassion, looking away to let the man off. And yet in the same story, has no problem, no, no compunction, no reserve in describing as an angry king who will eke out justice, who will serve justice. And the second thing I said about this, I, I am haunted, I was talking to the pastors about it this week, by the description of the, the vengeance and the that the judgment upon this man, he's thrown into jail and tortured until he repays the debt. There is no way he's going to be able to fulfill that debt. It'll just go on and on and on because he's in jail and he's being tortured. How will he ever earn enough? How will he ever get free? Clearly someone somewhere is going to have to redeem him. So we move into this, this talk. We are saved. We talk about Jesus the Savior. We are saved. Let's deal with the most shocking of the little examples I gave. We are saved from the wrath of God through Christ. Saved from the wrath of God. Romans 5, 6, 11 says this. should come up on the screen. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, that man in jail was powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will you, anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, some might, might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified, and that's a legal term, justified means Dennis is going to teach some more about this next week. Justified is all legal demands have been met. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So this wrath, this angry God, this king doesn't lose it. God never loses it. But he, his anger is righteous against those of us, who, against sin. And in this particular case, the man who does not forgive his neighbor. God has found a way of saving us. He's found an excuse, and that excuse is himself, his son, Jesus. And Jesus, 
saves us from God's righteous wrath. Not capricious, not just lost because he's having a bad day. You know, keep out of dad's way. He's pretty tense. He's having a hard, tough time at work. You know, none of that. This anger, this wrath, this punishment is just. And yet Jesus, Jesus steps in, intervenes, and saves us. The second thing that Jesus saved, that does is, is that he takes our punishment. This man was punished and punished soundly. He was tortured even. Isaiah 53 verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced, he was punished for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've told you before that when I was at school, there were two identical twins, Tim and Nick. And Tim, they were both actually pretty, pretty naughty boys. But one day Tim gets a detention for something or other. And I was in the bike shed getting my bike out to go home, and, and, and Nick, Tim gets this, he's got this detention or something, and Nick, his brother's unlocking his bike next to him, and Tim comes rushing in all of a fluster. He says, Nick, Nick, do us a favor. I've got to go to, I'm supposed to be down at the cricket club in the nets in about 20 minutes, but I've got this flipping detention. Will you do it for me? It was an extraordinary conversation. And Nick says, Oh, for heaven's sake, Tim, I, look, I did it last time. I don't want to do that. It's just a complete drag. And Tim says, I'll do, and they bartered away and they had this sort of half a round. Finally, dear old Nick relents. Nick says, oh, all right then. So Nick goes off to get Tim's detention. And of course, I was the only one that knew. You know, the maths master, whoever it was, a poor teacher that was responsible for detention that day would have said, all right, Tim, sit down, boy, you know, and tick the thing. But it was Nick. It was Nick all along. It only, it only works because Nick was able to identify with his brother Tim in a very unique way. It worked because Nick was able to take Tim's place, and Jesus has taken our place when it comes to our punishment. He stepped in, and he can do that, not because he looks like us, but because he came one of us, and that's what the message of Christmas is about. God becomes man. God takes upon himself the righteous punishment. There's no sweeping under the mat here. There's an honest appraisal of the situation as it really is. And a punishment is due, otherwise justice is not done. And I, I, I ask you, if you're going to have a God, shall we have an unrighteous and capricious God, or shall we have a just one? Shall we have a righteous God? Let's have a just and righteous God, shall we? Amen every day. Justice has to be done. Otherwise, everyone who has ever been sinned against would have a complaint against God. Justice has to be gone. And most of all, we have sinned against God. We may have sinned against one another, but we have sinned against God. And Jesus steps in, takes the bullet, and takes our punishment. The next thing, and this would have been particularly good news for the, 
the man in the story, Jesus cancels our debt. Cancels, I love that word, cancels our debt. Colossians 2, 13, 14, we could go all over the place with this. Many scriptures, but Jesus cancels our debt. Thank you, Matt. When you were dead in your sins, helpless and hopeless, in prison and tortured, incapable of rescuing yourself, when you were dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Have you ever had a debt canceled? Have you ever been expecting the worst, but instead got the best? Silly little story. It was the only one I could think of. I thought of it as I was having breakfast this morning. I've told you it before, but we have an oldies near us. I ought to get commission. It's great. I love Alders. Very cheap. Who, who has ever been to Alders? Yeah, there you go, you see. Brilliant. Wonderful. The only thing about Alders, you have to know, they do not accept credit cards. If you go and flash the plastic, everybody in the line, and they usually have huge lines because they have only a couple of people on the checkout, well, everybody groans and sighs and starts throwing pasta at you and things. So one day, I'm in the queue. In front of me is a lady. She's got a baby on her hip. She's unloading all this stuff on the thing. The woman checks it up. They're super fast. And then uh, the, 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 check, the cash out woman says, you know, I know, I think it was under 30 quid. It didn't amount to much. Lots of food, though. Under 30 quid. <laughs> Absolute bargains. Talk about two for one. And she announced the thing. And the woman gets a card up, puts it in, and goes, beep, 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 beep. And she says, and the, the cashier, knowing, having been there a 100 times, says, I'm sorry, we don't take credit cards. And, uh, do you have a debit card? And the woman says, no. Uh, I'm sorry, it'll have to be cash there. So the woman sort of, you can see she blanches. And she's got the baby wriggling on her hip and all this thing. And now there's a great big line and everybody, the, the, the sigh is moving down. Oh, 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 well, I've only got one item. Oh, oh. And so it goes on down the line, you know. And so she gets a purse out, and you know she's not going to, she's going through the motions. You can tell by the look on her face she's not going to have any money, you know. Sure enough, she says, I haven't got any money. And they go, oh, uh, off down the line. And I'm the worst of them. I'm, I'm rushing. I've got, you know, I think, oh, Lord, couldn't I have gone in front of that woman, you know? Couldn't I have just sort of got there five seconds earlier, and, you know, and I'm stuck behind this woman? And the Lord said, you pay. I said, what? <laughs> Who was that? I'm hearing voices. I need to get, I need a holiday, you know. You pay. I thought, oh gosh. Yeah. So bright and breezy, I said, don't worry, I'll pay. And the woman looked at me like I was a Martian. I kid you not, this is absolutely true. This is not a preacher. The cashier began to well up in tears. The cashier started saying, it's only my job. I hate doing this thing. It happens every time. I said, it's okay. I'll pay. It's not a problem. And down the, down the aisle, down the queue behind me, they go, wow. <laughs> that guy's going to pray. He's going to pay. I feel like St. Christopher of Hatfield. <laughs> um, I'm sure I'm levitating. There is definitely an aura. I have an aura. I definitely have an aura. And so I paid this thing. It was easy to do. And the woman, it was embarrassing. She kept saying to me, thank you so much, thank you. I'll pay you back. What's your address? I said, Lola, forget, forget it. Just 
my pleasure, you know, enjoy, whatever. It was, I could barely get out of the shop, you know, the people are sort of shaking my hand and patting me on the back. I kid you not. <laughs> 27 quid. To be honest, in the grand scheme of things, it, we didn't miss a beat. And like, thank you. God, Christ, cancels our debt. Boy, would that have been good news for the man in prison. Hey, buddy, you're out of here. What do you mean I'm out of here? Someone, I don't know who, so someone's canceled the debt. Cancel? So what do you say? Oh, just get out. Don't ask questions. Somebody's canceled the debt. Canceled? You're kidding me. Canceled the debt? Who? What? Why? How? Every one of us should be in that place because every one of us has sinned not against ourselves, not against another, and that may be true, but against God himself, and yet Jesus canceled the debt. Thank you. Good response. He cancels the debt. In doing so, Jesus redeems our soul. Redeems our soul. Galatians 3.13. Let's get that, Matt. Thank you. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We were under the law. We were judged by the law. We were condemned by the law. We were in the condemned cell. There was only one just desert and just destiny for us. That Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who's hung on a pole or a tree. Part of the Jewish law, Jesus hung on the tree. He was cursed just because of the way he died. Jesus redeems our soul. You under, understand that expression. You know, you go to a, one of the wonderful West End theaters we have so near here. If you get, out, get to go or if you go on a works outing, you can, you can check your coat in and they give you a little tag so you're not sitting in the, in the theater, all bustled up in your winter coat. And when you go out, you redeem your coat. You hand over the token, you get the coat back. God, through Christ, has redeemed our soul, our very soul, our eternal soul. We are all sinners. We may be adulterers. We may not be forgiving. We may have fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans 3.21. More times than we care to remember. And finally, today, Jesus reconciles us to the Father. Suddenly, the righteous king, the wrathful judge, is no longer that, although he is all that. Suddenly, we step through, as it were, a set of revolving doors into a whole new paradigm, a whole new world, the kingdom of God where Father comes to us as Father. Jesus reconciles us. I was speaking, and I, I kid you not, I was speaking to a pastor this week. Went out for, um, never mind. Speaking to this pastor this week, and he was telling me, he told me the story how he had been the minister of a church some 15, 20 years ago, and there'd been a church split, a very acrimonious church split. And uh, a guy who had been a friend for many years went off, and he was a leader, he led that lot, and, and this friend of mine, he led this other lot. And they hadn't seen or spoken to one another for 15 years. 15 years. And then one day just recently, this year, this friend of mine, uh, who's, uh, this friend of mine felt the Lord say to him he needed to be reconciled with this guy. And even though he thought he'd forgiven him, he thought all this kind of stuff, yeah, I forget, it's not an issue, you know, 
God bless him, I don't know where he is, but whatever. That's fine. You know, I don't have a Suddenly, he didn't want to. There was still a bite there. Anyway, long story short, he ends up contacting this guy. The guy, they agree to meet, they have lunch together, and it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. For the moment he saw him, it's like something inside melted. A position that he'd taken up was released, and suddenly he was reconciled with his friend. They've talked for hours. They're in touch now. The power of the cross gives us grace and power to be reconciled, to be reconciled with the Father. Jesus Christ, who is God's Son, who always called Father, Father, has now included us in. He's ushered us in. He stands before the Father as we stand, as we come before the Father, and Jesus says to the Father, this one's with me. And at that point, something that we say to one another in this church, and it never fails to amaze me just how powerful this thing is. We say to one another, welcome home. Maybe I've said it to you. Welcome home. And Father stands with open arms because of Jesus, our Savior, and says to us, I recognize it, welcome home. It's good to come home. So is this Savior, this Jesus Savior, in the light of the complexity of the mess that we get ourselves into and have got into, in the light of the inventiveness of our sin, in the light of the creativeness of our sin, in the light of the deviousness and the denial of our sin. A sin that justly deserves to be judged and condemned, one and all, no exceptions. Is Jesus up to the job? Is he a pastor on a pedalo? Or is he Christ, the Savior, worthy of our adoration? He is most certainly the latter. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you may think, as I did, for 12 years I believed I was cursed by God. That is another story. I believed that whatever I did, I would go to hell. Did I think it unjust? Yes. Did it make me angry at the church? Yes. Was I angry with everyone who even claimed to be a Christian? Absolutely. It seemed unfair. But as one who felt that he was, or thought, wrongly as it turned out, that I was cursed by God, I am proud to stand before you and say, Christ is my Savior. That's why I am a Christian. Because he has saved me. And he is more than up to the job. How can you get your name on the list? You know, there's always a list, isn't there? How can you get your name on the list? Well, do what Jesus said. I can think of no better. Hear the message. The time has come. Stop messing around. Stop wondering. Stop putting it off. 
Stop sort of standing in the doorway going, oh, hum, not being able to make a decision. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Time is running out. There is going to be a judgment day, and then all bets are off. But until that day, that great day, that voice, that voice of Jesus goes out to all of mankind and says, repent. Not just about saying sorry. Turn away from your sin. Go in a different direction and believe the good news. You have a Savior in Christ through his death on the cross. Would you please stand? Let's have the band up. Thank you. I'm just going to pray and then I'll come back up and as part of my closing remarks, we'll, uh, I'll invite you today publicly in this place on this gray or becoming sunny day in Thursday to join me down the front. We'll pray for you. But let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you to you because you knew this was going to happen. You were not wrong-footed. You know that giving, you knew that by giving us free will, that we, we could, Lord God, go our own way. And having done so, you knew we would need a savior. And so you came as your son. You gave us your son to rescue us, to give us a hope and a future. We worship you. You are worthy of our praise, Lord. And everyone said, Amen.